Welcome to The Room, where we talk about the hard parts of leadership that every great leader goes through, but no one wants to talk about. I'm Jenny Dufresne, host of The Room podcast and CEO of Leaders Transform, a business growth training firm. I am a global leader, former United States Marine, international best-selling author, community, and business leader. The Room is your safe space. We'll talk about the things that are difficult for leaders, the tough stuff that leaders aren't willing to be vulnerable about, but we really need to. So come on in, close the door, join me in the room. I know leaders and I know leadership. Welcome everyone to the room. I am really deeply excited to have this conversation today with Maria Kellis. Uh, She is the CEO of Maria Kellis International. Um, And so a couple of things that I want to put on the table as we get started here. She's a Massachusetts Institute of Technology, otherwise known as MIT, graduate in mechanical engineering. She has several degrees from MIT, also to include the Sloan um, School of Management, which is at MIT. Along with that, in her, this is her early career, her early start, she was the, she co-founded many tech companies all across the country. She was a high-level government advisor to the Greek government. Um, and did a number of different things uh, uh, internationally as well as in in the U.S. And then there was a transformation point. And so, Maria, I'm super excited to have you today. Um, Your new titles are intuitive business coach, leadership coach, kind of transformation, a person who who facilitates people through transformations. Um, But as we get started, um, one, thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation. I think it's a a, a timely. I, I believe it's going to be a timely conversation for folks. And so, as we were we were chatting before we we started, and I was commenting on how the there's this huge emphasis for people, um, young people, children, but people to pursue these sometimes extraordinary goals, academic goals what have you. So can you start us kind of at the, maybe the beginning of your journey, um, you know, going into mechanical engineering, which is in and of itself means that you were preparing for that in high school and earlier in your, your, your life. So can you just talk a little bit about what was the, what was the, what was the push? What was the requirement? What was the kind of maybe cultural or familial expectations to be a certain type of person or performer? Absolutely. So first, thank you for having me in this podcast. I, I'm really excited to speak and I want to give a message of hope that no matter where we are, there's still hope, there's still a place mm-hmm. and there's nobody who's broken. And I want to start by that because I feel that the first part of my life was a reaction to feeling that I was broken and I needed to achieve at extraordinary levels in order to be acceptable and accepted. Um, I, I grew up very abused, so the message that I was hearing is like, I'm fat, ugly, and stupid. And uh, I I grew up with this poem in my head. And even though I knew in my heart that probably shouldn't be true, eventually I believed it. And eventually I believed that there was something wrong with me. And the only thing that anybody ever said that was nice was my teachers when I was doing well in school. So I worked so hard. You, you, you're you connected. Mm-hmm. Going to MIT did not start at uh, at age 18. It started right. way sooner. Well, before I that. Remember, 
I remember in high school, people going to parties and I was not going because I had to study. And uh, all this, because I thought this was the path, I felt that the only way out is if I was good enough. If I achieve mm-hmm. something extraordinary, then I will, st- I will be good enough because I felt absolutely not good. And it wasn't such a conscious decision. It was more like a desperation decision. And, and very often, um, people like me who, who grew up victimized don't even know that we'll play victim. We don't even know that we live in this paradigm where things happen to us and we're reacting. And if I, if I have something that I believe is greatest achievement in my life, I'm no longer a victim. Um, and, and for me, abuse was really bad. It was physical, mental, emotional, and sexual. So it had the whole gamut. The whole thing, yeah. And, and it left me feeling that there was something wrong with me. That if anything, I was born unlucky. Um, there was no explanation for things going so wrong in my life. Yet I found solace in the extraordinary achievements of academia, because thankfully, um, people recognized my achievements, so I just kept working harder and harder, giving things up all the time, giving up my health, giving up everything that I could in order to achieve, because I was like, well, if only I get there, I'll be okay. And I remember this moment. So I, I have three degrees from MIT, so mechanical engineering management, and then a joint master's in product development. So it was mm-hmm. uh, the, the program was called CIPD, which is uh, the innovation product development. So it was between engineering and management. And my focus has always been new startups, uh, mm-hmm. high tech. And I thought that if only I could be better than anyone else, then maybe I would be good enough. because. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the measure of satisfaction. I never, I could never make mistakes. I had to be perfect. I was terrified of, of making a mistake. I I couldn't admit to anything that was wrong because then it would make my life too horrible. I was scared to admit it. And uh, and then that that's how I grew up. Did and, you, uh, sorry, so did you, did you, when, as you were, I mean, so going, Going through three degrees, right? That's I don't know, six years or ten mm-hmm. years. It's it's a it's a chunk no, of time. Ten. Eight years. Yeah, eight years. Six yeah. to eight years. So as you were in this environment, and it's it is in and of itself hyper competitive. I have a degree from Harvard, so it's hyper competitive, <laughs> right? Yes. It is, and I think in mechanical engineering, those <clears throat> those types of environments, there's an even finer point put on perfectionism. Oh, yes. Right. And so when you were... And I, in... I want to add something. Uh-huh. As a mechanical engineer, there, even though there's a balance, even now in, in uh, at MIT, there's a balance between men and women. Mechanical engineer was not so much women. Right. And it was... Especially right. in grad school. I remember there was a class in manufacturing that I took and there was me 20 guys and and there was one woman who wasn't doing well and I was begging her to do her homework so she would stay and I did her homework until finally at one point she said Maria if you don't get it I have to go and I was like don't leave me alone with all the crazy guys right but there was this discrimination um especially in the kind of country I would go into the machine shops because part of what we were doing was prototyping 
And I will go to the machine shops. And as you can imagine, big machine shop guys. Right. And they will look at me as they had no idea. So I had I learned to play the victim even more. I was like, oh, I'm a girl. I don't know how to do it. Can you do it? So the, the machine shop guys yeah. will do it. So then I could go do some other work, right? And it, it was almost as if the cards were stacked against us. We often talk about this glass ceiling for women. And definitely engineering is a place where women, we have to be two, ten times better than the guys right. in order for us to be at an equal level. And the good thing is that, you know, we are small enough, we can do it. The bad thing, though, is that this creates this unreasonable expectation that we need to do more, be more, have more, always more. And it's push, 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 never stop, never never take care of our emotions. I, I, at MIT, and yes, I came from a very background of being very abused, so... But I had zero emotions. I was a robot. I I thought it was a badge of honor not to not to sleep. Um, I remember there was one week during finals for, for an entire week. I slept four hours, and that's because I passed yeah. out. And <laughs> no surprise there, right? right but but right. it was a badge of honor. Like I've been awake for a whole entire week. And well, I think that 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 shows up in business as well, right? So we we the people who pull the all all the all nighters. Oh, I pulled an yeah. all nighter, and you basically oh. get a round of you know champagne, and and yeah, you exactly. know people are very excited about that. I think that's a that is definitely a thing in the work culture, but also it create it's, it starts also and, in an academic that, environment, and it, and it starts with this competitiveness that we have mm-hmm. to be better. Like there's always a comparison. There's always grades. There's always a comparison. There's always um, we have to do better than others in order to be good enough. There, there's competitions. Um, it, this is built into our culture. And I believe that now it's time to shift from the old business paradigm where it was all about win-lose because it assumed that we had somebody had to lose for us to win. And into what I call now the win-win scenarios, which is you win, I win. And even better, win-win-win, which is you win, I win, and the world wins. And the world wins. I believe Mm -hmm. is the most important way to do business these days. Because look where business has gotten us today. The world is collapsing around us. The people wonder if the earth will survive. Yes, the earth will survive. I don't know if we will survive. We may not. (laughs) We may not survive on it. So, I mean, it's it's one of the things that I've, and I've both in my own studies and my own journey, um, but as well as some of the conversations that I've had recently, is we talk about the masculine style of leader or masculine sort of form of leadership and a feminine form of leadership. And what you were, what you were just describing is, is kind of those two places where competition, siloing, you know, hierarchy is often described as a masculine form of leadership and yes. the feminine form, which it, you, you do talk about in uh, in some of your writings and such, is that there's this collaboration or that win-win-win, as you were just sharing, which is which is really uh, really important. So at some point, there is a the, you know you complete your studies and your you 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 know you're doing startup work you're you know all this tech yeah. what was the what was the tip like what was the beginning of the tipping point to 
your awareness or your or your kind of internal conversation of I've this has got to be done differently. Like what did that what I, what I'm gonna what start happened? By saying that I'm extremely stubborn. So I had warning <laughs> signs that something was going wrong already starting at school. I I was by junior year there was this one year was I was president or definitely a board member for five or six organizations while taking classes, acing everything, taking more than enough classes, while not sleeping, while um, cooking and cleaning for my brothers because I came from a Greek family. So that was kind of expected of us. And it, it was kind of, I, it was too much for any human. And I remember there was one day where I snapped. I just remember sitting under a table and crying and I just couldn't get out. I was like, what am I doing? What is this? And my first degree, I remember because MIT is a big deal. So when I graduated, I remember that day. So I had my cap and gown and I went to this room alone. And well, it, it was the infinite corridor at MIT. So that's pretty much the uh, big, big auditorium but uh i i was sitting there and i was like so what i just graduated so what like what do i do next what do i do with this even and uh it, it was I, it had been described that astronauts often get depressed after going to the moon because then mm. they're like okay i did it now what yeah but, <laughs> right and and for me that was that moment and that was the moment when i realized huh i am not doing what i like I, I grew up in Greece and then I grew up in France. So in France, anybody who's really good in math, and I was very good in math, ends up being an engineer. So um, I, I finished high school in France, and um, the the option was for me to go into a corporate technique, which is the equivalent of MIT in France. And uh, that was another two years of preparation. So, um, But my family was kind of um, going for the United States, so then... I applied to uh, MIT as the engineering school and I was accepted. So I, I went there. And uh, when I didn't ask myself the question, what do I want? In fact, when I went there, I realized what I really loved was business and, and finance. I didn't really care for engineering at all. And my father was like, no, that is not an appropriate profession. <laughs> you cannot get a business degree. That doesn't work. You have to get a real profession so there will have been doctor you know lawyer right. or engineer so i was like okay engineer i'm at mit right and so literally i picked mechanical engineering because i read in the statistics that 10 years later most mechanical engineers are doing something else and i was like okay at least i'll have a chance to do something else i have an out <laughs> which is really a very bad way to pick right and and by the way, I wish people would really think carefully why they're doing things before they do them. Because every one of those big projects is three to five or 10 years of your life. Why are you doing this? Why? Ask yourself that first before embarking on that journey, because there will be difficulties either way. It, it's not like, oh, this is the sad path. It's going to be easy. No path is ever going to be easy. But I think that is a really important, that is very important because I, I think so many of us are on a kind of a conveyor belt yes. pushed by family, pushed by culture. Um, and that can be for, you know, being somebody or you're not going to be anybody because you're from this particular culture or you, you grew up in that environment. So I think that's a, that's a, 
it's a it's a powerful reminder for all of us, no matter where we sit today, to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? And listen to that small voice, right? Which it sounds like at some point that small voice began to get louder for you. Yes. And it got louder by having health problems for me. I started having health problems. I remember the first time I realized there was something wrong. I was taking a uh, multidimensional calculus and I couldn't get it. It was the first time in my life I was having trouble with math. Mm. And I was like, why am I not getting this? Right, Because before math was a language for me, it was the easiest thing in the world. And it was like literally, I think the beginning of me not being okay, but I ignored it. And because I was so stubborn, because I had learned to push myself beyond the limits, I could still achieve as well or better than others. And that's almost a problem because nobody could tell me stop because I didn't stop for anything. I was like, I'll get it done, period. And and in almost in our culture, in our push, push, push culture, not giving up is is rewarded as well. Like, but right. but it's not healthy. Sometimes it's okay to just stop and say, "Why am I doing this again?" Right. And and it's okay if you're doing it because you love it. If you're having fun and and enjoying every moment, yay, go for it. But if you're hating every moment and you're doing any way in order to get there to get the result, why? It's for not, me, yeah, my it's life up to that point was all about results. I could, I couldn't care less about the process in between. I will hurt myself. I will like abuse my body. I will like do everything in order to get the result. But only the result mattered. And it's very sad because in our culture we have this. Oh, just it doesn't matter how get there. And I often talk about it in these negotiations. In the past, we lived in a model of win-lose. So it didn't matter how you won. It mattered that you won. So you will cut corners. I remember there was a book when I was in business school. It was called Lying, Cheating, and Stealing. And I was so drawn to that book because I was like, yep, that's business school. (laughs) Right. That's how we're going to get ahead. That's it. Because it, it was almost like a subtle message. Have no heart. Have no emotions. Have no compassion. Just win at all costs cutthroat competition and now i love competition but i love health competition if if i don't have somebody to compete with i don't do that well right if somebody is there competing with me i do so much better because i'm pushing myself but right it's not it's not win at all cost anymore so you you were mentioning this male and female model model of leadership if you i i call it yin and yang and that model, I, I like to explain using the analogy of water. So if we think of a river, the hard parts of the, the river bed, so it shows the direction, it shows what is being contained, the container is the male energy, the young energy. This is where we have schedules and processes and ROIs and KPIs, and, and we have revenue models and projections and everything that's hard and it is needed because that gives us the direction. And the softer energy, I believe, is the new paradigm. This is what we bring in. And it's not only women. I want to I, I make clear that it's not feminine energy equals women. It can be more right. the flowing yeah. energy. Right. And that flowing energy is, are you meeting the right people at the right time? Are you 
surprisingly finding yourself in the right room, talking to the right people that you've been, it will have taken you 10 years doing research to find them, but somehow you just pop into them. You're at the airport and suddenly you meet the right guy. It doesn't matter. Like this is the flow that is hard to explain and incredible to live in. So, so, so it brings me, so there's two things. One, um, a, a kind of catastrophic health event is yeah. often the transition or the transformation point for most people, not everyone. Mm-hmm. Some people chalk it up to, you know, that's what, that's what I'm stuck with. Um, you had a, tra- you had a, it sounds like a catastrophic from our conversation. Yeah, yes. Catastrophic health. Uh, sure. Event. I'm happy to speak more about it. So right. in 2004, I end up in a wheelchair with a very severe form of multiple sclerosis. And it was very severe because not only it affected my brain, but it also affected my spinal cord. Mm. Um, and it affected my eyes, it affected my touch, it affected my taste, affected my swallowing reflex. I mean, the first symptoms I had was losing the feeling of hot and cold and it went down here. And I had tremendous pain. I had what they call neuropathic pain. Mm. And at the time... I didn't know anything. The only thing I knew was no morphine. Uh, so in the hospital, I kept telling them no morphine. And so they they gave me OxyContin, which is another yeah. opiate. Right. And then without even knowing it, I became addicted to it. And um, so here I am with um, with everything that I knew was gone. I At the time I was engaged and my fiance left me because I was in a wheelchair. Um, my all my money went to hospital bills, and so then I was on welfare. I qualified for food stamps. I could not do anything. My it didn't work. It didn't work. Like my brain didn't work. Everything that I took for granted wasn't working. And I thought it was game over. It really felt like a game over. And I remember there was this one moment where I was sitting in the hospital, and I had this awareness. I knew that it was me. I knew there was a Maria there. And I didn't recognize anything. My body wasn't working, so I wasn't my body. My mind wasn't working, so I wasn't my mind. My memories were gone, so I wasn't my memories. My uh, my emotions were not mine. They depended on the happy drugs that were giving me, so I was not my emotions. And yet I still knew that there was something there. It was me. And that was a gift that I recognized much later as a gift at the time. I was really angry. I was like, my my mom is a Christian, so very religious. And she was like, oh, it's okay. And I was like, I was so angry. I was like, I don't know who your God is, but if he exists, he's an SOB. <laughs> because I did everything. I did everything right. And that's my reward? Well, F you world, right? Right, it was, right. I was angry, and I want to say that when we're in pain, being angry is normal, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. I have tremendous compassion for people who are currently in pain when I do work with them, because some of my clients, when they hire me, they're not exactly happy campers. Mm-hmm. They may be depressed, they may be angry, they may have like incredible things happening. And I always say by saying, I always start by saying, you're okay. Let's get you to where you're supposed to be, not where whatever shell of a body or mind you have right now. And that's important to know that there is a way out. People say that there's no way out from burnout. People say there's no way out from addiction. People say there's no way out from failure. But that's not true. Simply not true. I was told by, oh my God, when I started coaching, there was one coach who 
fired me, keeping my 20,000, thank you very much, and saying that there's some people who are just not meant to ever be unbroken. They're just too broken. Oh my and gosh. I was like, Jeez. wow, who are you and who made wow. you God? Who do you think you are? But wow. this judgment exists in the world. People judge us all the time. And I have to say, if we're looking for outside approval, we'll get more judgment. Get more these judgment, days, yeah. These days, I've gone to the point where I like myself. I am okay being me. And well, guess what? People like me. People don't judge me. And when they do, I'm like, well, that's your opinion, isn't it? Right. And, that's and okay. keep moving. And keep moving. And, and I always pay attention to criticism. Even if it's not constructive, I, I have the ability to just look at it as information. I'm like, okay, I wonder what they're telling me. Because people will tell me what I need to know and what I need to heal, but I don't take it as I am broken now. Oh my God, I have to fix myself. I'm saying, okay, if I want to do that, I need to fix this first. So then I do. So anything that is a failure now, quote unquote, or a mistake, quote unquote, now I call it an adjustment or readjustment and redirection or some information that I got. So relanguaging, so, relanguaging the kind of dominant paradigms of of absolutely. failure or or errors or which we 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 talk, often have been we've been trained to translate those to we're broke to your to your point to we're broken there's something wrong with us so yeah. you're you're in this space and, you feel this other maria show up if you, I, on, yeah. I do say one last thing uh-huh. i hope that at least one person is listening to this conversation mm-hmm. and hearing it because i went through a tremendous amount of pain and suffering to be who I am today. And I wish I had had a Maria 20 years ago that had told me this, that had given me the message. You don't have to go through pain in order to go to the other side. You don't have to break yourself. You don't have to collapse in order to be able to go from where you are now to where you want to go. There's there's always an easier way. You don't have to always pick the hard way. And I know, especially of us overachievers, we're trained to pick the hardest way possible, right? Because that's Absolutely. the best reward for us. And th- there's no need to torture yourself. In fact, I believe that joy is an indication that you are where you're supposed to be. And I'm not talking fun. Mm-hmm. This is not a, I am not here saying, let's all go have party and do lots of drugs. That is not at all what I'm saying, (laughs) just to be clear. Because it's not about the instant gratifications. This is about joy, true joy, the one that kids feel. When people meet me now sometimes, like especially when I'm around water because I love water, like you're like a little kid. And I'm like, yeah, I love water. And I, I, I dance and I, I laugh and I'm like a little kid that just has fun. Why? Because I truly feel the joy in my heart. And that, that is the greatest part. So if you, when I work, I feel joy. Truly, I feel joy. I used to think that for, for eight years, so uh, between 2004 and 2012, I tried to do traditional work, right? Because I'm a trained engineer, I'm a trained professional. Um, so for many years, I was kind of putting everything that I'm talking about in hiding. And I was kind of doing my job and kind of on the on the side, I was doing what I'm doing. And it took for me, like, as I said, I'm stubborn. So life kept pushing me to the edge. 
Now we say first there's like a little slap and then it's like a big slam and then eventually it's the car crash. So for me, that that was, um, believe it or not, being in the wheelchair was not enough for me to get it. So in 2012, I had a very serious accident, construction site accident, where I fell in construction shaft and uh, I literally died. And I went to the other side. I had with a pulmonary death experience. And that to me was the point where I said, wow, now I get it. And finally, I gave up trying to be someone else and it decided to be me. So and you had a, you go ahead. I was just going to say, so you've had, and I think your your story is not uncommon <clears throat> from the standpoint of, you know, the first warning, the, the second warning is a little bit more, a little louder. The third warning of you're not on your path, if that's, if that's, if I mean, you're not on your path, you're not aligned with your creativity, you're not aligned with your joy, you're not aligned with your spirit, you're not aligned with, you know, you're not aligned with who you really truly are, who you came to be. And I think your story, Maria, really resonates from the standpoint of, I know a boatload of people to include, I've been in the same place where our the warnings keep happening, but we're so conditioned. We're, what I love about this conversation is that you're giving people your, your roadmap, if you will, but you're giving people also the opportunity to take a step back and go, because I think it's also this tension of what do we have to give up to be our, our whole selves or our, our, you know, we talk about authenticity, but to be that to be that yeah, spirit absolutely. self, I'm going to call it spirit self, right? Because what I sure. sounds like your your Maria was your spirit. You're like, wait, I'm I'm here to do some other things, um, but we don't we don't have a way or a language really to do that. And I think unfortunately, the the thing we pay attention to is pain. Like it it is a teacher. Yeah. It isn't you know that's and the it, un- and it doesn't have to be the only teacher. Mm-hmm. That that's what I'm trying to say is that mm-hmm. yes, pain is a teacher having a roadblock, being in a wheelchair definitely made it clear that I can continue down that road. Right. right. Having a near-death experience. And and it, by the way, it did not come pain-free, right? I, I broke my right. back, so I was in the hospital again for many months, right? Mm. I, I, I landed on my jaw, so I, I kind of like dislocated, broke my jaw, and all the teeth in the back, they're all fake. Oops. Oh, wow. wow. And uh, <laughs> it, it was horrible. It was mm. horrible. And I'm in the hospital, like, you know, and back after that, remember, I, I was addicted to painkillers by 2004. So I knew I did not want any painkillers. And by now I had some tools. So then I invented a gratitude game. I literally will go into gratitude, which is, by the way, super difficult when somebody's in pain. But mm-hmm. I, will, I will start a gratitude game in around 150. 150 was the magic number for me. Because when I will get there, the pain will disappear. And that was my natural uh-huh. painkiller. And I'll always start, I'll always start with my eyebrows don't hurt because it was the only part of my body that didn't hurt. (laughs) So I'm so grateful my eyebrows don't hurt, that I knew. And then the second thing, because I was in the hospital, it was, I'm grateful my sheets are clean because they will change them every day, right? And I will try little by little. In the beginning, gratitude was difficult. And I say this with emphasis because people who are in pain now 
people who are in difficult situations, they're like, well, yeah, that's nice to talk about gratitude, but let me tell you, I'm not feeling very grateful. And I'm like, yep, I got it. Me neither. I was not a happy camper. Yeah. If you can imagine the pain I was in, right? And, and I remember, like, they, they put a catheter in because I couldn't move, right? It was so painful every day. And I was like, why is this happening? What did I do wrong again? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, why am I being punished? Yeah, mm-hmm. because it felt that way. And, and I do want to say at this point, I want to shift to another lesson that I think is super important. There's four levels of responsibility that I teach to people. Things happen to me. I am the victim. Things happen for me. At least I'm the lucky one. Things happen, which is kind of like the Eastern mindfulness philosophy. And then things happen through me, which is I am the creator. I create everything. And I believe that true freedom comes from knowing that we create everything, good, bad, and ugly. That's us. And when things are not aligned with what we want, Instead of saying, oh, it's this person's fault or this person's fault, say, okay, I'm taking 100% responsibility for everything. What did I do to to create this and why? And I'm not saying that there's a clear difference here. Fault and blame and shame versus responsibility. Responsibility means I am responsible. I created this. This is great because I created it. And now let's find out why. If I don't like it, well, let's see what I want. If, if we think about blame, is it your fault? Is it my fault? Is it, you know, the, the neighbor's fault? Whose fault is it anyway? Who cares? So when I find people who are stuck in victim, they always, always, always find somebody's fault. Oh, poor me. I, they compare themselves with somebody, find something that's wrong with them. And they're like, wow, look at them and look at me, look what I have. And it doesn't matter. It's almost like you can have everything and still play victim. And you can have nothing and be happy and grateful. And in fact, if you have nothing and be grateful, guess what? You'll have everything anyway. You have everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, so your your journey um, to, I guess, self discovery or or activating or being able to connect with that aspect, those aspects of yourself, the work that you do today um, is being that voice, that person. Um, to to support and help other people, so to to kind of maybe not have to go, <laughs> you know, go go around some of these obstacles as opposed Absolutely. to having to go through them. What tell us a little bit about that and kind of the, your work that you do? So I am a leadership coach because I believe that leadership well first starts with self leadership, and I believe that leaders we need to be leaders of ourselves and leaders in this world in order to make this world the place that we envision it to be. Yeah. Instead of, I, I see all these young people these days, right? All the kids that are out protesting against the state of the earth and they're angry and they're blaming the governments. Well, guess what? It's up to us to fix what is broken. We cannot wait for it to be fixed by others because those people that we're waiting for broke it in the first place. They don't know right, how to fix right, it. Right, right. So we get to fix it. So I, in my journey, obviously I, I start having all these incredible, miraculous things that happen. So medical, medical miracles. In a sense, I started as a journey, in my journey, um, I started as a healer and uh, I, I was helping people in health and and 
But I was like literally telling people, let's go have a miracle. And it didn't occur to me at the time, but I was trying to save people. It didn't occur to me that, that if I told them it's a miracle, that Manzero worked for you, all the work for me, and then you can go do your thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't way. work like that, yeah. We have to change in order for the world to change. We have to change our attitude, our mindset. If people with cancer, like cancer is usually a concentrated form of anger and resentment. Well, if hmm. you have anger and resentment and the doctor takes away the cancer, well, guess what? The cancer is coming back somewhere else. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that happens all the time. But if you go into gratitude and appreciation and laughter and joy, well, guess what? Your cancer will disappear. And if the doctor takes it away with surgery, well, it won't reappear again. It's sort of, for me, one of the incredible books that I read um, when I was in the wheelchair was called Love, Medicine, and Healing. Uh, And that was, uh, and Miracles, sorry, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And it was by Dr. Bernie Siegel, who was an oncologist. He still is, I think. Mm. And uh, he, was tired. He wanted to quit oncology because like he couldn't handle any more people dying. And he did a study that was interesting. He said, okay, we know that people die from cancer, but what if they lived? What makes them live? What is those extraordinary patients who survived cancer? And he studied those people. And he realized that there's no correlation. There's no correlation in the form of cancer, type of cancer, stage of cancer, severity, nothing. It only depends on what people believe. If they believe they're going to get well, they do. They believe they're going to die, they will. And and that was the beginning of me getting out of the wheelchair. Because for, that was 2004. In 2004, I remember there was this one moment where this the insurance had approved a motorized wheelchair. So the vendor arrived in my house and I tried it on the block. And at the time I was living in Berkeley. Very, very good city, by the way, to be a handicapped person in because they have a lot of uh, passageways and it's actually one of the best cities in the United States for handicapped people, but it still hurt. Going up and down and every little pebble in the street will give me pain because I was in so much pain. And I was like, this is not my life. I don't want this to be my life. That was the first moment when I made a conscious intention. And I said, you know what? I don't have cancer and I don't have a particular book for how to heal multiple sclerosis. But even though the doctors are telling me that there's no cure, I'm going to not be sick anymore i'm definitely getting out of the wheelchair and th- this was me starting to say i am no longer accepting this horrible condition because i have i was at the point like the ultimate part of the victim the, the journey of a victim is to be fully taken care of and i was and you uh, know what right. it sucked i didn't right. like that right i wanted to be independent yeah. and free. no I autonomy yeah. The, yeah i could stay in the system for the rest of my life I, I don't remember which president said that, but they said, if you want to be completely taken care of, just go to prison. Right, right. And that the health becomes its own prison. Exactly. Right. And it took me a long time. The first time in order to get out of the wheelchair, 18 months. It, it was difficult. It was a difficult journey. And, and I remember I learned to not compare myself with others. The, a friend of mine that I'm always going to be grateful for. Uh, came to see me. Most people abandoned me and refused to see me and kind of pretended it didn't exist anymore. But I have some people that I consider my family. And uh, so my friend Sabrina came to see me with her daughter Zoe. And Zoe was less than one years old at the time. She was learning how to walk. And I started comparing myself to Zoe. How many times did Zoe fall today? How many times did I fall today? It wasn't about comparing myself to the rest of the adults because obviously they knew how to walk. 
Right, right, right. <laughs> said. But I was like, hey, I'm learning. It's okay. That was the first time I allowed myself to fail and, and have mistakes. Every day I was failing. I was like falling flat on my face, literally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, it came with pain. But I was not going to give up. I'm like, hey, I, well, I read somewhere, and I don't even know if it's true, but it resonated with me, that we only use 7 or 10% of our brain or something. Yeah, it's a so 10%. Said, yeah, yeah. So I said, but a lot more to use. <laughs> I have like 90%. Okay, so I have a lot of parts that are broken, but I have a lot more. So I started remapping pain. I I was in a wheelchair and I had tremendous neuropathic pain. So I said, wow, what do I have a lot of pain? Well, guess what? Pain is not pain. It's just information. And so I said, pain is hot. Pain is cold. Pain is me sitting. Pain is me having clothes on my body. Pain is... Um, walking pain is falling pain is hitting myself in the in the cupboard but but some pain is just pain and I started remembering to remap pain and to this day I don't know if I healed or if I just learned that because to this day if I'm super tired sometimes I just feel a lot of pain and I'm like oh okay I guess I, I ever push myself so then I go back to remapping pain and I remember and I'm like oh I'm just tired <laughs> Part of part of what you're also pulling out here is the power of our minds, which I think we we don't we don't recognize again because I think it's another thing that we're we've been detached from, and we use it for intellect or acquiring information, and you know, but we don't we don't realize the power that we have when we do harness the energy of our minds. We don't, it's just, again, not something that is taught, but if you think about a gratitude, you know, an, uh, a gratitude practice, that is the power of the mind to focus on something else, Absolutely. right? That generates a different kind of energy yeah. or connection or what have you. There's a great book uh, called uh, the, oh, Napoleon Hill, the oh, think and grow rich, think and grow rich, right, right. And he talks about the power of the mind and the power yeah. of focus. Yeah. And by the way, this is not news. In the East, in the Tao, it says that as you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So it is our awareness that changes, and that's why I'm so fascinated working with leaders, because as we change, we change the world. And if we're leaders of companies, well, guess what? Our companies change the world around us. And That's this is like correct. the greatest power that we have in this moment. We don't need to be in the government. I mean, I was working for the government because mm. I thought we could go top down, but top down doesn't work. The government puts out policies, and by the time they get to the people, like they're very different than what they intend. They're watered down. Yeah, they're very. watered down. Whereas if in our companies we have the power and ability, and one of the other things that I want to say, I'm I'm an action girl. I want things done yesterday. So I love businesses and media because people want to have money. They want it done yesterday. They, they're not going to start and resist. And I'm like, great, let's make your business incredible. And you know what? By making your business incredible, you are growing because your business will not be incredible unless you change. So it's a, it's a win-win. It's another way to look at the same exact thing. So instead of trying to say, oh, I'm broken, I need to fix myself before I do something. I'm like, no, you're perfect just the way you are. Start your business and start let's fix your business. <laughs> yep, start, start working. Well, Maria, I have really enjoyed um, our conversation today. I think that 
I appreciate you sharing the, you know, the parts that of your story that leaders often will not share. And so it always looks like, uh, you know, miraculous comeback <laughs> without, without any, without any, uh, without, without a path of like, what, what did I have to go through? So I really appreciate you sharing, you know, your, 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 the, the mental work that you had to do, the mental and spiritual work, really, I think that you had to do in order to heal yourself, heal your body, heal your mind, and then create something new for yourself that now not only is about your life, but also is the work, the leadership coaching work and the the, the business um, consultation work that you do now in helping leaders um, helping leaders lead well and lead from the inside out, which I think is just to your point, it is so necessary um, because our world needs a different, it needs a different way. Our companies need a different way. And by um, the way, it's outperforming. So conscious business, yes. the conscious business movement is showing that these practices are actually outperforming. Absolutely. The traditional companies. So Absolutely. There, there's nothing, it's a win for the company. Yeah. It's a win for the leader to go into this conscious business practices. What we call the flow is actually an acceleration. It makes things easier. I people say, I don't think I can do it. And I'm like, oh, this is the minimum. Let's go for you know ideal. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. And we we set goals. I use both sides of the energy in my practice, both the yin and the yang. We set goals, we set intentions, we track APIs, we you know, we are looking for the ROIs for everything we do because otherwise, how would you function if you don't have a plan, if you don't have, you have a direction have focus, where you're going? Right. right. And this is something that I do want to stress that we can program ourselves and I Absolutely. remember I was abused with very bad messaging in my head. Well, guess what I did? I said, well, I think people program themselves brainwashing. So I literally will brainwash myself by listening to positive affirmations yeah. every night when I sleep for years. I still do sometimes. Yeah. When I'm like, you're beautiful, you're perfect, you're amazing. I mean, I recorded with my own voice, even better. Right, right. Those messages may not be there. And that's okay. But that does not mean that you cannot get access to them. So never think, never accept where you are as a, oh, wow, I guess I'm, that's who I am. No, no, no. just yeah, you can, create who you want to be. You can absolutely, absolutely remap it. And so I'm really, I'm grateful for your message. I'm grateful for your uh, message of, of hope and also your message of um, your message of transformation is possible and it's available to everybody. And I think the other really key and important message is we don't have to be peddlers of dysfunction, meaning being sick and going to work, you know, not having enough sleep, not properly taking care of ourselves. I mean, having a self-care practice being very critical, um, having a good, you know, remapping those messages. Cause a lot, we all have messages. I mean, we, we, we all have been given messages that are not so supportive sometimes. And yeah. so that we can remap our own messages is a really important thing. So um, and we're coming to a close here in the room where leaders talk. I'm uh, again, um, grateful for your, for your, for your lessons, grateful for your 
uh, your your share your sharing your story. Um, I know that we'll have in the show notes uh, information on how to connect with you with you with your company with the work that you do. But just as to kind of close out, what are the types of um, people, clients, companies that you're seeking to work with? Uh, what are your kind of your favorite folks that you'd love to work with? Absolutely. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. First, I do want to say that uh, we have a gift in my website. So it's mariakelis.com. So M-A-R-I-A-K-E-L-L-I-S. And that's an ebook called um, AI and the Yin-Yang. So how to enhance leadership in the age of AI. Because things are going faster. We, yes. I don't believe we need to be scared of technology. I think we need to embrace technology in order to be relevant. And at the same time, that puts us even more, leadership becomes even more important as a, as a role. And uh, uh, people can find me there. And the, the one message that I'm here to bring is the message that everything that you do starts with you. Leadership starts really? with self-leadership. Everything that, and and so the people that I love to work with are people who are interested in getting better results because I'm all about results. I'm an right. action person, I say. <laughs> and, but, but they're open to, change, to, to trying a different way because mm. we are trained to look at results by working faster, by shutting off our emotions, by, by doing things that are not exactly within the lines. And what if we could do if there was another way to get better results, if you're open for that, then you're my people. Because awesome. that's that's how you know you're ready because you're ready to say, well, okay, let's try something else. Excellent. Because it will get you the results. I love that. So if you're a person or if you're leading a company and you are interested in getting better results, um, definitely reach out to Maria, contact Maria's company, um, check out this new book on AI, which is very important because um, technology is coming and absolutely we need to be ready for it. So Maria, thank you again for, for being here in the room. Um, I'm really glad to get to, to, to learn more about you and, uh, and your story. So thank you so much. Hey, it's Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of The Room a safe place where leaders come together to talk about the things that we don't often share out loud. If you enjoyed your time in the room, please like or subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. And if you want to learn more about our important work with leaders, head over to the website leaderstransform.com and continue to be connected to our community. Thank you again for listening and make sure you invite someone to next week's episode of The Room.